Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another episode of the Birth Launch Podcast. Today, I am joined by my good friend, Addison Carlson, who is also the founder of The Good Birth, uh, a birth service based in Utah. Allison, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm super excited. I'm so excited to have you. So today, you guys, we're talking about precipitous labor. So if you don't know what that means, this is defined as a birth that is three hours or less. So super fast, super like fast onset, fast labor, fast birth. You are kind of like wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And it's over before you can even really sometimes cope with what is happening. Allison had a precipitous labor. So I wanted to have her on to talk about what that experience is like, what is it like on the other end of it, and how you might be able to prepare if you find yourself in the situation of being in a precipitous labor. So Allison, talk to us. What in the world was it like having a birth that was super short and fast? It was wild, I will say. Um, I don't like to call it chaotic. I would say it was exciting. My first child I had in the hospital and it, he was um, an 18 hour labor. So it's not what I expected. Um, I definitely thought it was going to be about 18 hours, but um, about like a um, week and a half before I had my daughter, I was done. And I asked my midwife if she would strip my membranes and she just said, how about we just check your dilation? And I was just like, okay. And she was basically just like trying to ease my mind. She, she told me it doesn't mean anything. And I was just like, yes, yeah, so whatever, whatever you say. And so she checked my dilation and I was a five, six at the time. And I was at 39 weeks, 44, oh, 39 and some. Um, so yeah, I was at a five, six already. And she was like, okay, well, that's all I'm telling you. Like, there's nothing else I can tell you. And I was just like, okay, cool. Went home thinking I'd have the baby and I didn't. And so <laughs> a few days later, I asked her again, um, like maybe, maybe a week later. Or so I asked her again, if she would check my um, cervix again. Um, reluctantly, she said, yes. And she just said, I really just think you're stressed and you need to, you know, trust your body and your baby's going to come when your baby's ready. And I just said, yeah, whatever, check my, check my cervix. And so she did. And I was at a seven, eight ish. Um, 
Yeah. She was like, you're at a seven. I can stretch you to an eight. Um, she was like, your body's ready. Your mind is not it. She was like, I can tell you're stressed and your heart, you know, my blood pressure was insane because I was so stressed, not too high where I had to be transferred or anything, but she was like, it's a little high. Like you need to chill out. So I tried to calm down. I fixed some of the issues that were going on in my house. I had my whole family come into town thinking that I would give birth that night. And then I didn't. So, um, a I think it was about a week later. So at 41 weeks and one day, I was having some Braxton Hicks, nothing really set in stone. It was just kind of nothing consistent. It was just every once in a while, I would text my doula and I would text my midwife and I would say, yeah, I'm having some and I would get all excited. I reread the messages last night to refresh myself on the story. I was so frustrated. I would be like, oh yeah, I feel some. And then an hour later they stopped and then it would happen over and over again for days. So finally when I was 41 weeks and actually I was 40 weeks cause she was born in the more in the early morning, but it was 40 weeks. I texted my doula. I wrote down the times. Even I texted my doula. I'm going to try to sleep now. Um, because we had been texting about how I was frustrated and stuff. And it, that was at 12, 19 AM. And then I texted my midwife at, so I fell asleep. Then I texted my midwife at 12:40 AM. That was like 20 minutes later. <laughs> and I said, my water broke. My contractions are super close. And she didn't respond um, right away. Cause it was a text, which makes sense now I should have called. But so what had happened was I jumped up from my water breaking um, didn't wake up my husband. I ran to the bathroom and tried to labor on my own thinking this is just early labor. I can do this. It was not what I expected. Um, so in my mind, I was thinking I cannot do this for 18 hours. There's no way I can do this for 18 hours. Um, so I kept thinking about calling my doula, but I didn't have the strength to get my phone and call her. And so I just kept going through my contractions and they were on top of each other just insane. It was not what I expected. What were so, you doing at this point? Were you on the toilet? Were you walking around? Were you in the shower? So immediately when I woke up, I just went to the bathroom and I hung myself over my countertop just by myself. Um, then I woke up my husband and asked him to help me get into the shower. I had bought a birth tub and it was blown up in our living room, but my mother-in-law was sleeping out in the living room. So because I was trying to not wake her up, I didn't go fill it up right away. Um, but yeah, I should have, <laughs> but I just jumped into the shower and my husband came in and was just talking to me, um, thinking it was early labor. You know, I was like just waking him up after like 10, 15 minutes of me laboring on my own. Um, so we had the water, the shower on my back. I was on all fours, um, trying to relax. I remember trying so hard to relax my body, just like spread out like this and try and relax. And my body was physically pulling my arms back in. I could not relax. Um, so about at that point, I told my husband, call the midwife and call the doula. They need to come right now. And I think he just thought I was being a little dramatic. He didn't say that he's an angel, but, but I think he was just like, you just started 10 minutes ago. Like, like, I don't know, that seems a little early. So he, he called my midwife first and said, she's, she's struggling through them. I think you should come. I didn't hear this. I, if I would have heard him say, maybe you should come. 
I would have said, absolutely not. You get her here right this second, like for sure you need to come. But because I didn't hear it, I was just like, he's taking care of it. So my midwife told me later that he was just like, yeah, maybe you should come. I don't know. (laughs) So, um, right after that, my husband helped me out of the shower. Um, we went into my room for about two contractions. He did counter pressure. And then I said, can you fill up the birth tub? Like I'm feeling a lot of pressure. I didn't say that, that I was feeling pressure, but I was, um, I felt like I needed to pee so bad though. So I stood up, I said, I'm going to go pee. You go fill up the birth tub. We split ways. Um, I went to my bathroom, sat down and immediately her head was coming out. Like there was no doubt about it. I was like, her head is coming out. So I screamed to the top of my lungs that she was coming out and my husband ran in. And what I remember was him saying, no, 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 you're okay. She's not like, you're not having the baby yet. Something like that. And then he looked in between my legs and said, her head is coming out. (laughs) So then my mother-in-law, I saw her peek in um, and she came in and helped me. I stood up and while I was standing up, the baby's head was coming out about like probably up to about here, but it was coming for sure. And, um, the, I accidentally hit the bidet. And so I squirted her in the head with the bidet, which was just like such a funny part of the story because we were like, what is that? What is happening? And then we realized the bidet was on. So then I stood up, my mother-in-law held my body up and my husband caught the baby, unwrapped her cord, handed me my baby. And so that was how that went. Oh my goodness. I am blown away. I feel like I need the background music of where I blink and it's like, like this story is so cool. Okay. So the very first thing that I want to talk about is you had a lot of adjectives. What comes to my mind in the accidental home births that we have, and to, to clarify, this was your second baby. So your body had already done this and you had a home birth plan, but obviously you had attendance coming or that was the plan. So in the accidental home birth that we have attended in these same scenarios, intense is the adjective that comes to mind for me. It's really intense, but unmanageable. That doesn't come to mind. It's scary. That doesn't come to mind. Um, like out of control doesn't come to mind either, but intense. It's just a very intense, literally a blip of time. I mean, that's what makes it precipitous is that once you realize, oh God, this is happening. You're also like, oh, and there's my baby's head. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) You don't quite have time to let those hormones catch up and tell you what's going on. So it is a little bit um, shocking, but still manageable, still really beautiful, really exciting still. Um, I did ask my husband after and my mother-in-law, they were scared. And both of them were like, no, we weren't scared. They did end up getting scared after this, which we'll get into. But um, in the birth part, they were both very intuitive. Um, my mother-in-law was awesome. She had had a medicated birth. So she was like, I kind of understood what was going on. Um, my husband has not done anything like this where he's caught babies or anything. So he just said it was intuitive. He just obviously saw a cord, never learned to unwrap a cord, but knew, okay, there's a cord. Let's unwrap it. Here's your baby. Um, and other than that, he was like, no, it wasn't scary. So really cool. 
Gosh, that is so cool. So for listeners, you guys, one in three babies has a cord around their neck. It's super common. Um, and the research does show that they actually need to have it moved around their neck a couple times and for it to be pretty tight to be um, dangerous. You might run into the occasional like super short cord where one loop or two loops might cause you problems. But for the most part, it is almost never an issue. And because we can resolve it so easily by just unslipping that knot. Okay, so I'd also love to touch on the fact that you, my friend, were walking around literally almost as big as a bagel and your body wasn't letting your baby out because you were so stressed. So many people think that if you're not dilated at the end of pregnancy, then, you know, you're just like doomed to be pregnant forever. People don't realize that you can also walk around for weeks and weeks and weeks literally dilated. You were seven to eight centimeters. I'm absolutely flabbergasted. I don't even have words to, I've never seen this, but you were so stressed that cortisol was preventing a, you from going into labor and B from your body really being able to do that work. Talk to us about that. Well, honestly, I knew I was stressed. So I knew that that was affecting me. Um, but if you think about it as like mammals, like they will not give birth if something's chasing them. Yeah. Not that I thought that my life was in danger, but I was very stressed. So I really wish in hindsight, I would have just trusted my body to come when, when it was supposed to. And another thing is I always tell my clients, my doula clients and midwifery clients, I am like the walking example that dilation means nothing because so it's either you're going to get your hopes up about your dilation and think I'm going to give birth tonight like me, or you're going to be like, are you serious? I'm only a two. And it just doesn't mean much at all. And so it's really hard when I hear my clients really want to get their cervix checked, even though I did it myself, because I know that's a little hypocritical, but now in hindsight, it's frustrating when I'm like, it doesn't mean anything. And then they hear you're only a two, those words only. I'm like, you're doing like your body's doing what it's supposed to. That two means nothing. So yeah, stress causes many issues. I guess not issues. It is trying to keep your baby in if there's an issue, but in my case, there wasn't a dire issue. It was just me being dumb and being stressed over silly reasons. And I really wish I would have just shut those things out that didn't matter and focused on having a baby and the things that actually mattered in life. But yeah. And that's coming from a second time parent. So if you're out there as a first time parent being like, I also am being really dumb and like stressed out about stuff too. You guys, this is a learning curve, right? Like we have been programmed and taught to be fearful of the end of pregnancy, to be fearful of pregnancy and labor itself. That labor is just like hellacious, really painful, uncontrollable, unmanageable, can't possibly get through it without all this, you know, intervention and, and medical support. But it's not really like that at all. No, you know, it's a learning curve. So don't beat yourself up. If you two are like, well, I'm really stressed at the end of pregnancy too. It's, it's not you it's society. I promise it really is. Okay. So Allison, quick question about why you went from the hospital with your first birth to a home birth with your second birth. Is it because your first birth went badly and you didn't want to go back to the hospital or something else? Actually, my first birth went great. I had a midwife or medwife, whatever you want to call them, um, in the hospital. She was great. She like looking back, there are some things that um, I wish didn't happen, but they weren't anyone's fault per se, other than the hospital policies. So 
Um, otherwise it went great. I did get an epidural and I was induced at 39 weeks just because I did not know. Otherwise there was no medical issue. Um, my midwife offered it and I was just like, okay, why not? Um, something I wish went differently, which is kind of what led me to have a home birth was I asked my midwife, I kind of want to do unmedicated. I always have wanted to, but I'm not sure how to. And she just said, something along the lines of, if you're on the fence, you should get the epidural. And I really wish she would have told me about a doula. I had no idea what that was. Um, I wish she would have given me books or anything, but she just was like, if you're on the fence, get the epidural. So I got the epidural. It was fine. I, I would never do it again, but nothing went wrong, but it was the worst part of my labor was getting it just because I was scared of the epidural. So, um, with that, my second Leading up to my second, I knew I wanted to do unmedicated from then on out. So I didn't even want the option for an epidural. Um, I was kind of bummed that I didn't feel like she believed in me. Um, so I wanted a different provider only because of that, not because she wasn't good. She was amazing. But because of that alone, I wanted someone who believed in me. So that's when I found my new midwife, who I'm actually an apprentice under. And she just believed in me. Like there was no doubt about it in her mind. She's like, Oh yeah. Like you're not any less strong than the women who have done it before you. So, and that was really cool to hear. She gave me all the tools I needed. And then she left every option up to me, which I really loved too. So I originally planned a birth center birth because I was nervous thinking that a birth center birth was a little bit better than a home birth. Um, then eventually came around to knowing that they're about the same, that the only difference was the in, at least in Utah, I'm not sure about everywhere, but the only difference here is that one is one might be closer to the hospital, but I was about five minutes from the hospital anyway. So yeah, I ended up switching to a home birth. It's really nice to hear uh, a positive hospital story and also one that started with induction. You rarely hear that. Is there anything, and I know this has nothing to do with precipitous labor, but while we're here, I just can't pass it up. Is there anything that for someone who um, is going to a hospital induction that you would suggest that made your situation really good? And there may not be anything that's, you know, replicable to other people. Sometimes it really is just luck of the draw and like, you know, your birth story. I would trying to think, I would say, honestly, the only thing other than luck is that I had a provider that I trusted. Um, A lot of people do trust their providers though. And that's like, not someone I would trust where I'm like, ah, but my provider, because I think she was a midwife, first of all, um, she's seen a lot of unmedicated births. Not that I was doing unmedicated, but she knew as close to a physiological birth as I would have hoped um, compared to some OBs. And she was also in a very, a a town at the time I was in Rexburg, a town where a lot of people were having babies. So I think she knew about physiological birth a little more than a doctor would. So I'm happy that I did that, but I also think it was just luck. Yeah. I know that sounds super sucky, but yeah, I think I just got a little bit lucky and I had a good provider. So yeah, a lot of inductions are just luck, you guys, especially if we're not doing our due diligence and like getting the bishop score and making sure that your body is truly ready and really thinking about your induction equation because it's very individual. You shouldn't be getting the same induction drugs in the same manner as your neighbor or your sister or, you know, the girl down the street. So, um, okay, question about you had mentioned something scary maybe happened after birth because your mother-in-law and your husband got a little fearful what what's that about 
So I ended up, um, I was sitting on the toilet, had my baby. And then my husband called my midwife and just said, so the baby was born. Surprise! (laughs) (laughs) Turned out to be, it was 40 minutes labor from, or 40 minute labor. And he had called her, she, she was on her way. So he had told her to come and she did come of course. Um, but she was about five minutes away. And so she was walking him through. She said, get her off the toilet. You don't want to use gravity. Um, get her onto the bed, which I was so happy. We had a tarp because blood was like all over and ruined my bed. Yes. So I was very grateful for that tarp, but, um, I laid down on the tarp and then the midwife was on speakerphone and she just said, okay, get those gloves on and I'll walk you through delivering the placenta. If it starts to come out, if she starts feeling crampy. And so my husband gets gloves on and, um, she asked him something about how much blood do you see? And he just said, oh, there's not a drop of blood. And she was like, okay, so she's going to hemorrhage. Don't touch the placenta. Um, just wait till I get there. So my midwife came in and that's when about five minutes later she got there, but that's when my husband and mother-in-law started getting um, a little fearful because they knew I was going to hemorrhage. <laughs> so my midwife got there about five minutes later and so did a bunch of other people that were supposed to be there, like my photographer and my videographer and my um, doula, everyone started pouring in. And um, so they all got there and then my midwife did all the things she needs to do on her own, which normally she has a team of four, but no one got there in time. So she did all this on her own, which was just amazing. I was actually in awe because she had to be pretty quick. Um, I ended up losing quite a bit of blood. She at the time said I was her sixth worst hemorrhage that she's ever seen. And she got to the point where she wanted to transfer me. And I was just like, no, like you're not transferring me. And she was like, I'm not comfortable with this amount of bleeding. And I was like, you're not transferring me. I was kind of dumb at the time. I was like, absolutely not. Where now I do appreciate the hospital and meds in in its place. But she gave me Pitocin, a shot in the leg of Pitocin and it didn't do anything. And then she gave me, um, I think I might be wrong. So another shot of Pitocin. And then she gave me an I, she started an IV with more Pitocin and Cytotech. I got, I, I basically, we basically maxed out on all the drugs we could give. Um, and finally at the very end, which I really appreciated, she said something like, you need to tell your body it's time to stop bleeding. And I just really, that stuck with me. Cause I was like, she trusts me and she trusts my body to stop. So she finally, she like grabbed that as the last like hope. This is it. This is the time to stop bleeding. And then my body stopped. Hopefully all those drugs kicked in and my body stopped bleeding. So we didn't end up having to transfer, although she did say I could, if I wanted to get a transfusion or felt like I needed one, but I didn't. And I was fine. I I went onto an anemia protocol and healed great. So that was the only time they were nervous. And looking back, do you feel like you should have transferred? Or are you still confident in your choice? I mean, it worked out. So I would assume you're confident in your choice. But now that you know more, what do you think? Um, No, I wouldn't have trained. Like if I was a midwife there, I would have thought about it. And I would have been like, okay, things are not like going well. But because at that very last moment, I know that the ambulance would have gotten there. And by the time we even called them, I would have stopped bleeding. So no, I wouldn't have transferred if I could go back. But I also have a thing about transferring. Like I really just don't want to go to the hospital. So I would, if I were, if it didn't stop bleeding, I would have gone, but because it stopped, I'm like, that's good. That was a good amount of time to do it. We have all the 
charting and I, I've had the opportunity to go back and look at what happened. She handled it beautifully. Like she was on top of it. She was delegating so nicely to people that weren't even medical providers. She was having them chart. And it's so funny. I have a picture of our, it's a paper chart because she didn't have time to pull up her computer to chart. And it's like 30 different handwritings of people because she would just say, you chart this, you chart this. So it's like my brother-in-law's handwriting, then my husband's handwriting. So she even charted everything. She just did it by delegating, which was really cool. I felt, I felt like she did it so well. And I just trusted her the whole time. I wasn't scared. I just trusted her that everything would be fine. So I really loved that. How lucky are you to be able to train under someone so phenomenal? Like I have goosebumps thinking about her, like commanding the room and just taking charge. Yeah, it was really beautiful. I still like, I would trust my life with her for every baby. So it's really nice. That's awesome. Okay. Can you explain to our listeners how your midwife knew you were going to hemorrhage because there was no blood? Why does that, why is that significant to us? So sometimes, sometimes it can, the placenta can come off the wall and and the blood will pool behind it. So essentially that's why she knew because there wasn't blood coming out, um, which meant the placenta could have been off the wall and in the vaginal canal, just waiting to come out. And so that's what made her realize that I was going to hemorrhage. So if he were to have delivered the placenta or tugged on it or anything, then my body would have just kept pooling blood. Yeah. So you're, you're already going to expect a lot of blood to kind of follow that placenta when it comes out, but it also doesn't send your body the correct signals to stop bleeding, which we saw, um, your birth. So, okay. Let's talk about the criteria that you used to find your providers, because you talked about, you just made a comment that I was like, yeah, same. You said a lot of people trust their providers, but it's not a provider I would trust. Same. Like it is important to know why are you trusting this person? Are you trusting them? Cause they're a nice person. Okay. Hell, there's a lot of nice people in the world. Like, this doesn't mean they're all good doctors, right? Like you don't choose your doctor because they're nice. Do you choose them? Cause like, Oh, she's so cute. She's so sweet. I'm cute and sweet, but you shouldn't trust me with your medical advice. Like, come on people. That's not why we choose doctors. What kind of things did you look for to help you choose like such phenomenal doctors? You had a wonderful hospital experience and you had a wonderful home birth experience. What characteristics and qualities are you looking for in your medical providers to help give you these experiences? Yeah. So my first with the hospital midwife, I honestly just asked around for a midwife. Um, I come from a family that's very medical, like very, everyone in my, every single person in my siblings are doing something medical. Um, my uncle owned that, um, the same doctor's office I went to that my midwife was at with my first, he owned that. And so he was an OBGYN and I just knew from that, not that they were bad or anything, but that I just wanted to be more holistic. I always have been a little bit more wanting to do the natural thing first and then going on to um, medicine if needed. So with my first, I just kind of asked for a midwife and I was going to interview every single person at that office, but I met with her and I was like, she's, she's it. Um, The other options besides her at that office were only OBs. So I kind of already wanted the midwife, but once I met with her, I was set on her. Um, I don't remember the questions I asked her because I probably didn't know very much. But I did think like, she seems very holistic. 
Um, and then with my second, I pretty much hounded my midwife because I was kind of scared of a home birth still. I didn't quite understand it. Um, or I guess out of hospital birth, I should say, because at the time I was wanting a birth center birth, but, um, I had asked her every question under the moon, like what happens with, you know, if baby gets stuck, what if this, what if this? And she just went very calmly through them. She didn't make me feel dumb. She didn't rush me. She would have FaceTime calls with me. It was at the height of COVID. So she would have tons of FaceTime calls with me. Every single appointment of ours was an hour long and she just knew everything about me. I, I will never forget when she asked me about um, if I have ever been sexually assaulted. And I thought I've never been asked that by a provider. Mm-hmm. And it's like stayed with me because they should know that if they're working with yeah. your intimate parts of you and intimate experience with you, they should know. And so I was really impressed with that. And now working under her, I can see how important that is that you'd be shocked at how many women and people are just going through that. Like it's, and it's just so important because when, when you're doing a cervical check or anything, if they want one, you have to have that in mind. So that was something I really thought was impressive that I stayed with her. One of the reasons I stayed with her. Um, Other things that I liked about her were that she said to me once, Um, I have no loyalty to you having a home birth. She was like, I have loyalty to you having a safe and empowering birth. That does not mean you will have a home birth or a birth center birth. So she was saying, you're already paying me no matter what. Like she doesn't give back money if you transfer. So she was like, I don't care. Like, it's not like I would keep you here just to keep your money. So I really, I took, I took peace in that. I was like, okay, that's good. I'm paying her no matter what. She's not going to try and keep me here if I'm dying because she'd get the money anyways. So I really liked that as well. Um, and instead she ran into the issue where she was like, all right, sister, we got to go. And you're like, absolutely not. <laughs> We're not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. She, yeah. She didn't quite know me then. <laughs> yes. I love that. I really did love that about her. Some people get nervous about that. They're like, well, what if I transfer? I don't get my money back, but I'm like, you want that. You don't want a provider that's going to maybe keep you because they would get to keep your money too. Um, And then on top of that, I think a lot of people, they do get stuck in that personality thing. They're like, their personality is great. Like they were just so nice to me. And I'm just like, they can do anything they want to for the three minutes you're in there. Like they can say anything to make you feel comfortable. But the second you're in labor, you know, the bait and switch, like they Mm. can bait and switch so fast. And I see it all the time, all the time. It's so, so frustrating. And so- it's hard to tell the difference, but I would say those questions and getting the vibe off of what they're truly passionate about will, will kind of give you a good vibe, but you cannot get that vibe if you're there for three minutes. Ask your OB and your midwife and your medwife, ask everybody, what's your favorite part? Ask your doula, what's your favorite part of your job? And if your OB comes back and says surgery and your number one goal is to not have a C-section, that OB just told you that their favorite part of their job is to do C-sections. You should be finding a different provider. Not that that person is a bad doctor or doesn't know what they're doing. It just means that they are probably not skilled and equipped to help you in your unmedicated delivery, vaginal delivery, if their favorite part is doing C-section. That tells me that they do it a lot. Right. If they love C-sections, they're doing them. 
they're doing them. You guys, that is, it's, it, it's not a reflection on their skill set, but it is a reflection on their capability to help you have your birth. Allison, I love your um, refusal to go in, not in the fact that your midwife was a little bit nervous about your bleeding and you were like, no, I'm not going in. Like, well, stick it to the man, not that, but just in informed refusal. And your midwife respected it. You literally understood and you had your own threshold of what would have made you nervous. Right. And that didn't match up with your midwife. And so when you said, you know what, I really don't want to go in right now, she said, okay, that's it. I mean, end of discussion, I gave you the option. You said, no, you're informed on the risk. You know why I'm suggesting it. I think that is so beautiful. And I think it's something that a, a lot of listeners probably wish was a part of their story and it wasn't. Um, or there's a lot of listeners out there who are saying, man, I hope I can have the courage to say no to my provider. What in that moment, what were you thinking? What, how did you find the courage to say, I hear you, but no, thanks. Um, I honestly feel like I just trusted her to figure it out. I trusted my body and I trusted her. I knew that I knew that things seemed hectic for them, but for me, well, this could be the shock speaking, but for me, I felt like you guys have this, you just gave me all this meds. It's going to kick in. Um, and I think my wife, my midwife knew that as well. I think that she just legally had to say like, I'm not comfortable with this bleeding. And so I just said, that's great. Except for I am like, it's fine. And so she did, she did respect me with it. And she just, she did say like, okay, but I'm not comfortable with this. We need to get this to stop. Tell your body it's time to stop bleeding. And it did. So I'm sure there maybe would have been another conversation if I was actually in trouble. But at that point, I wasn't to the point where I was in trouble. So I think it, it was handled perfectly in my eyes. Like I, I really had good closure with my birth and how it went. That is so dreamy. That's my dream for everybody. Your first dream is your first birth is so dreamy for everyone who has a hospital birth or, you know, a one, especially that starts with induction. I just think, ah, uh, these are so dreamy. I wish I could like copy and paste them and give them to everybody. Right. But th they weren't happenstance and they, they weren't like, you know, there is some sort of luck of the draw in birth, but you did the work. You were finding the right providers. You were doing the mindset work. You were, albeit it be hard. You were trusting your body. And even when you got into a pickle, you trusted your body to figure it out alongside your midwife that you had chosen. I think that's huge. There is just so much freedom in the wisdom that is in your body. And if you leave the space for your mind to listen to that, a lot of things will work themselves out. I agree. I definitely agree with that. I've seen so many moms where you can see the flip when they stop believing their body or when they start believing their body. So it's really, really empowering when someone can learn that skill. It's actually a skill. Like it's really hard, especially growing up, if you haven't been taught that skill to finally find it in childbirth, you don't just like magically start believing or trusting your body. So start now. <laughs> yeah, it's an intentional working progress for sure. Okay, so the place that I'd like to wrap up here is what about people who have 
facility plan first. So they are planning to have their baby not at home, right? So in a birth center or a hospital. Um, and <laughs> they find themselves in precipitous labor. Looking back, uh, you mentioned a tarp maybe being handy. Is there anything else that you are kind of like, yeah, you definitely probably want to have this at your house. Something that comes to mind for me are towels that are light colored. So in one of the births that we had been to, um, all their towels were navy and dad kept bringing me towels. And I would say, not that one, not that one get a new one um and it took us literally like four or five towels before we could get a white towel because eventually I was like not a dark color um and he brought like whites and yellows and pink so tarp light color towels what else do you think someone might need um hydrogen peroxide would be great <laughs> um blood out yep I would say honestly for me the tarp was the main thing but having water nearby, which I know that sounds so silly, but like if you're in that kind of um, situation, then you're going to need some hydration and water. Like right after I could not get enough water. I needed water and I needed food. I have the video of my husband just feeding me pieces of strawberries. Like I needed energy quick. So anything like easily digestible food in your fridge when it comes like close to you giving birth um, cheese sticks, I don't know, anything like that. My last suggestion would be if you have a precipitous labor to make sure that you have towels, a blanket, something warm on hand so that you can keep that baby as warm as possible. Of course, you want baby to be skin to skin. Um, but on top of that, throw on a big, nice blanket. If you have a heating pad or something you can warm up in the microwave, don't put it straight on baby's skin, but put it over top a blanket and just make sure that baby stays nice and warm. I love the idea of putting towels in the dryer. If you have a dryer and then bringing those out in the hospital, you often find that they'll bring you heated blankets and we can emulate that at home with towels that have been love in that. the dryer. That's a great idea. I think that's like the main things, but as long as you know how birth works and you're not like completely clueless, then you should be calm. Um, that's not like a thing to have, like a tangible thing, but it is um, a way to set the atmosphere. If you're freaking out and you're completely fearful, things are going to go sideways. So when things do start going, um, to the precipitous way of birth, then maybe just start trusting in your body, have your partner understand that you can do it and don't start freaking out where you're like, call the ambulance. Oh my gosh. Like you can do it. People give home birth, do home births all the time and they're fine. Um, I would just know about hemorrhaging. I would know about that kind of thing. If you, I wouldn't, I can't like recommend this, but if you know about hemorrhage tinctures, you can look into that, just having them on hand. If you have a, a history of fast births um, and then of course, having your provider on call, like talking to them right away, if something is happening. Absolutely. Precipitous labor can be shocking. It can really catch you off guard, but here's the thing, you guys, if your labor is going that fast anyway, your body is screaming at you that it doesn't need any help. It's already there. It knows what to do. It pretty much has told you 
buckle up sister because we're going for a ride and you're probably not in the driver's seat of that one unfortunately oh my goodness Allison this has been so wonderful I think we've dispelled so many myths and fears about precipitous labor and um, having your baby unassisted by accident this is not a lot of people's choice to have their baby without a medical professional uh, you know around it can turn out okay. And look, both Allison and I recognize and hold space for um, the small percentage that it doesn't go right. And we recognize that 100%. Not all births everywhere are going to go right, right? We have births in the birth center that go wrong. We have births in hospitals that go wrong all the time. Home births, unassisted births. Birth sometimes goes wrong. For the most part, birth works. And, and if we, we can trust it, not only our body will do better, but your birth will be more manageable um, and it'll just be gentler and better for everyone involved. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. This has been so wonderful. If something you said resonated with people or if they're out in Utah and they're looking for birth support and they want to connect with you or they just simply want to follow along on Instagram because they loved hearing your story, where can people find you and how can they uh, connect with you? Yes. For um, anything birth related, I am on the good birth, the at sign, the good birth. Um, I handle most of my inquiries there and I'm working on a birth course, but it's not quite out or ready yet. So I'm a perfectionist. It will probably be a while, but I'm working on it. <laughs> so I do um, mostly in-person um, doula work, but I do have virtual if there's no way you can get an in-person doula. I really do shy away from it because of that. Um, I know and really, really value having an in-person doula. However, with COVID, some, some hospitals aren't even allowing that. So I'd rather you be somewhat supported with a doula. Um, if that means virtual, then I'm here for you. If not, then um, we'll get you or I'll help you find a doula near you. What a frustrating human rights violation not to allow a doula. It's so nauseating to me. That could be its own episode. Oh my goodness. All right, Allison, this has been amazing. I really appreciate you being on the show and the listeners. We'll see you next time. So if you're tuning in on the podcast, check us out on YouTube and find us on Instagram at Tranquility by Hehe. And if you are viewing this on YouTube, we'll see you next week. Check us out on Instagram or go listen to the full episode on the podcast. Bye, y'all. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to The Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident. Hey there, just a friendly reminder that nothing in this podcast is to be used as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 
Please consult your healthcare provider with any questions or concerns you have about your health or anything discussed in this podcast. Side effects may include educated adults, informed decision-making skills, and consensual care. Tranquility by Hehe and the Birth Lounge are not responsible for any ideal births that were created with this podcast. The birth parent deserves all the credit.